Welcome to the Burden and Blessing Podcast, a study and discussion forum on the truth of God's Word. Our CPR series looks at certain topics that come up in life, and we attempt to discuss them in a way that relates to everyone. At times, we bring in the arguments of those opposed to the Word of God in order to practice contending for the faith that God gave His Church. It is our prayer that you will be equipped to give a defense for the truths of the Christian faith with humility and respect. Welcome back to Burden and Blessing in our series on the disciples or apostles of Jesus. Over the last few months, we have been considering these 12 individuals that were chosen to follow Jesus, to spend three years in instruction with him, and learning lessons from them in their lives and for our lives today. This week, we are taking a look at James the Elder, he's sometimes called, or James the son of Zebedee. Joining me again to review the history and the life of this individual is Pastor Mark Tiefel. How are you, Mark? I'm doing well. Hey, we've got another familiar guy again this week. We've had some we've had some unfamiliar disciples with very little historical biographical information. James is again one of the more familiar individuals. What do we know about James, the son of Zebedee, or James the Elder? Yeah, as you mentioned, we know quite a bit. Like you said, James is the brother of John the Apostle, the older brother, John being, you know, believing that John was a lot younger than James. Also the son of Zebedee, the fisherman. And as we know in the gospel accounts, as we've seen with Simon Peter and Andrew, they were partners uh, with Simon Peter and Andrew in the fisherman business. So we know all that about James, just as we discussed with John and Simon Peter and Andrew. And James was also given that one of the spots on that select three that got a chance to witness some very unique things about Jesus' ministry, along with Simon Peter and his brother, John. So James is actually an eyewitness to a lot of very significant events in the ministry of Jesus that only that select three were able to see. So there are several of those, and we have talked about some of those in the past with Peter and John, but let's, let's review what those, those individual accounts are very specific where, where again, Jesus selected these three individuals out in order to see certain things and how important that would have been. You want to review those, those events? Absolutely. So we just had one in the church here, here, uh, the transfiguration of Jesus is one of the most monumental ones where James was part of the group that was able to ascend the mountain and witness the transfiguration of Jesus with Moses and Elijah. He's also present at the healing of Peter's mother-in-law, as well as the raising of Jairus's daughter. Again, that account of raising Jairus's daughter comes somewhat early on in Jesus' ministry. And it's, it's kind of one of those first, we might say, upper tier miracles that Jesus performs and only James, Peter, and John, along with Jairus, uh, or the, the daughter's parents were allowed to come into the room and witness the resurrection there. So, and then he's also present, um, with the rest of the disciples in the garden of Gethsemane, but also being, being taken with the three back by Jesus. And then the Olivet discourse near the end of Jesus' ministry as well. Uh, John, James would have been a a direct eyewitness of, of that and sat at Jesus' feet to listen directly to that sermon. So those are all very, very significant events. 
for different reasons. So you mentioned that the raising of Jairus's daughter is one of the earlier events. It's the earliest of all of those that are recorded there. What kind of an impact would that have had on James, Peter, and John so, so, so early on in Jesus' ministry? It's really hard to fully detail the impact that it would have had. I mean, you think about if we were in that position, the impact that it would have on our faith to witness a resurrection like that. But it, it's almost like it would be more for the, those individuals because they probably had a lot less basis of, of knowing who Jesus was and what he had done than we would. I mean, we, we've grown up in the scriptures. We've learned, we've learned the things that Jesus has done. It certainly would be amazing to see it with our own eyes. But James was a, a simple fisherman. You know, he was not a scholar of the scriptures. It, you know, it, that, that's not to say he didn't know the scriptures or he wasn't a believer, but uh, he certainly didn't have as much knowledge about Jesus going through that in the present time as we would looking back on all those events today. So you, it's just hard to really fathom the impact that that would have had on, on those three individuals and James in particular the, to see the resurrection like that. It certainly would have been one of those pivotal moments where they realize there's a lot more to Jesus than just being a miracle worker. And you can start to see as we've, as we've talked about with the rest of the apostles, as the gospels unfold and you get into the book of Acts, you start to see how the dots are connected where they, they understand Jesus is not just a miracle worker, but he's also not just somebody who can raise people from the dead. He's somebody that promises to do that for us. And that's, that's really the most monumental thing for any person is when they realize not just what Jesus can do, but that Jesus has done it for them. And I think you see that with each of the apostles and I, and because of the way that James's life unfolds in the book of Acts, you can, you can obviously see why the promise of the resurrection would be quite important to him. Yeah. I wonder too, you know, you think about, you were talking about how they were just fishermen and probably not as familiar with the scriptures as, as others. But one of the other problems, it seems like not just James, but the other disciples also had is that they had kind of taken in the wrong preconceived notions of, of the Jewish leaders of that time about what the Messiah would be. So not only did they maybe, were they not as well grounded in the scriptures, but they also had to overcome false views of what the Messiah would be. Which, and we see that throughout the ministry of Jesus, where he addresses those concerns and, and directs them back to the scriptures so that they would know these things that they had learned or been taught about the Messiah were not accurate and showing them what it was, what it really, what re Jesus really had come to do. Absolutely. Um, and you, you see an example of that in James's life. That's one of the accounts we have of him of in Matthew chapter 20, where his mother asks for her two sons, James and John, she asked Jesus that they be want, be seated on his right and on his left. So to have that place of preeminence in the kingdom of heaven is, is what she was indicating. And that would have fit very much with what the, the kind of theology that the Pharisees would have been, you know, peddling at that time, which, you know, it, it, it had a lot of the elements of the scriptures in it. It used the scriptures. It seemed very godly, but it was based on works and it was based on effort and it was based on what people do and what people what, what is perceived to be 
deserve from God by people rather than what Jesus came to do as a savior. So you see that lack of understanding, even in that account with James and John. Well, it is interesting that it seems, it's, it's my personal view that there is a direct relationship between James and John and Jesus, that their, their mothers would have been sisters. That is a view about Mary and the mother of uh, James and John. And that would make sense, wouldn't it? If these guys were cousins, I mean, that directly related to Jesus, it would make perfect sense that his aunt would come to him and say, hey, can you make sure that your cousins have a high position of authority when, when your whole kingdom comes, whatever that, you know, whatever that perspective was for, for her. And, and it's interesting to see that that certainly fits with what is very, very likely possible with the relationship between them. Yeah, definitely. So we also get a little bit of insight into the character of James. And that starts with one of their, one of the nicknames that was given to James and John and a particular event from the ministry of Jesus, which is where they get that name. Do you want to go into the the nickname that they had for James and his brother, John? Yeah. So it's one of those words that were given that that goes directly from, I don't know if it's, is it the Greek or is it the Aramaic? I believe it's the Aramaic. Yeah, that would seem to make sense. But it's called, they're called the Boanerges, which, which we're told means sons of thunder. And it gives us a, a bit of an insight into perhaps the personality of James and John. Perhaps they were, had a bit of a fiery personality. And the, one of the accounts that indicates that is in Luke chapter 9, where Jesus and his disciples head to a Samaritan village and we're told that the people there rejected him. And we're told there's a little insight from Luke here that they did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. So we're thinking that this event comes near the end of Jesus' ministry or at some point close to the close as he's heading to Jerusalem. But James and John ask Jesus, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? So you get a little bit about what we were talking about. They knew their Old Testament. You know, they knew, obviously referencing Elijah there. But because of the rejection, they want to cast immediate judgment onto these people. And you can see, again, context matters, a Samaritan village. So there would have been a conflict typically between the Jews and Samaritans. So that makes sense as well. But you don't see a lot of compassion here with James and John in their approach, wanting to immediately render judgment onto these people. And Jesus talks about how he did not come to destroy people's lives, but to save them. Very important lesson learned through this. So you see some of that sons of thunder attitude coming out there in that account from Luke chapter 9. So I think that is an interesting characteristic to see with James in particular. Let's fast forward a little bit. So you mentioned a couple of other significant events towards the end of Jesus' ministry. That account right there comes near the end of Jesus' ministry as they're making their way to Jerusalem. We have the transfiguration that was probably about the same time as that account. And then you also mentioned the Olivet Discourse and the Garden of Gethsemane. 
uh, a couple of other events where James, John, and Peter were selected out. We see some interesting things with them along the way, but what do we know about James after the death and resurrection of Jesus? He obviously is significant during the ministry of Jesus, those three years. What happens to him afterwards? That's the thing about James is it's kind of a kind of a surprising thing in the book of Acts after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. One of the one of the first things that happens in the book of Acts, at least from a you know one of the important moments in the early church, is that James is martyred. So in Acts chapter twelve, we have the account of his martyrdom under under King Herod, and you know we're we're just simply told by James, by by the writer there that he was beheaded by by Herod and just killed. So for somebody who had such a preeminent role in the book, in the gospel accounts and was part of that inner group of, of Jesus in all of those events, it's somewhat shocking for us to hear that James is taken off the radar pretty quickly in the book of Acts. And, and that's where, that's where his, his time ended on earth here. So that's where I go back to, you know, the, the raising of Jairus's daughter as an important moment for James to see and understand the resurrection and the promise of the resurrection, because he was one of the first martyrs of the church and, and certainly of the 12 apostles. Yeah. So the only one that we really have a record of before James would be Stephen, right? I mean, there, yeah. there are others that Paul was persecuting, obviously, but it's, you have the record in the book of Acts of Stephen and you have the record of the martyrdom of James. So, Really, James was probably the very first high-profile Christian martyrdom. I mean, it's a different level than Stephen. Stephen was a deacon, but this is the first of the apostles that we have recorded. Yeah. A pretty amazing thing. And one who most likely was one of the most prominent among the disciples before his martyrdom. And maybe that was why Herod chose James, because he had both James and Peter. Um, but uh, you have the deliverance of Peter at the same time which again, the, the Lord's hand in all of that. And I think that's why some people think James was a, a bit of an older person too. John being much younger, John being the one apostle who did not die by martyrdom, as far as we can tell, lived to be very old. Yet James, the first one taken, as far as we can tell, the two brothers, what a contrasting um you know, legacy in some ways in the book of Acts there, not that, not that we want to discredit what James did or anything like that, but the Lord in his wisdom chose to take James home very early and chose to leave John on earth and, and do more work. And, and cer certainly we'll have more insight into that decision when we get to heaven, but that's the way that the Lord chose to do it. And that's how it unfolds in the book of Acts. So what are some things that we can take away from the life of James? As you mentioned, a short life, the, the amount of time that he would have had as a Christian from the time that he, you know, not that he knew Jesus, because if they were cousins, you know, they, they would have known each other for much, mo, mo, most likely much longer. But from his call, which is th those three years during the ministry of Jesus, not much time goes by. What can we really learn from James for our own lives today? You know, as you as you ask that question, I think of one of the hymns we'll be singing here coming up in the season of Lent. 
sweet the moments rich in blessing, which before the cross we spend. I think that's one of the lessons we learned from James is appreciate the moments you have, especially before the Lord and his word here on earth. James was given some, he's given the opportunity to be an eyewitness for some of the most amazing things in the ministry of Jesus. And you would think, as we said, that Jesus was setting him up for a lifelong ministry under his name, but God chose to take him right away, take him back home to heaven. So I think be ready, be ready to go home to heaven, be ready for, for when the Lord calls you in that way. But through that, appreciate the moments that you have at the foot of the cross, appreciate the moments you have for church, for Bible study, for Christian fellowship, for family time, for all the blessings that the Lord extends here on earth because you don't know when your time comes that the, the, the thief of death can come at any point. So the Lord can call us home at any moment. We want to be ready to go. And James's legacy is certainly a reminder of that. I think the other thing we see with James that stands out is it is good to be enthusiastic for the Lord. It is good to have zeal, but have that be directed in the right way. Have that be directed to the Lord's honor and glory. We're not told a ton about the personality of James, but we are told that he had the nickname Son of Thunder with his brother, certainly indicating there something about his demeanor, his approach, his attitude, perhaps having a fiery personality. So that's not a bad thing. It's not bad to be enthusiastic. It's not bad to have a competitive or fiery personality, but have that be directed to the Lord's work so that it doesn't lead one astray in what God would have us be doing. When we have gone through these in the past, we've talked a little bit about maybe some unique things that are traditions about the individuals. Do you want to take us through maybe one of your favorite legends of the apostle James? Yeah, there's quite a few surrounding James, the son of Zebedee. I think one that stands out to me is, the account of his martyrdom, the legend of his martyrdom says that the prison guard who was watching over James was so struck by his witness and testimony of Christ that he was converted and asked for the forgiveness of sins and stood right alongside James and was martyred with him. So again, it's a legend, but if that was the case, Quite a, quite a miraculous and stunning thing happening there in the life of James, using even that moment of his death as a further witness and testimony of Christ. Certainly doesn't, compared to a lot of the legends we've looked at with the apostles, it's definitely not within outside of the realm of possibility that something like that would happen. There's other, other accounts where similar things have happened through the witness of those who are about to lose their life for Christ. So that is a very understandable, very believable legend. There's also some really crazy legends about James, like him coming back to fight armies. <laughs> yeah. So as, as we'll see, you know, you, you see this with the 12 apostles, they're very predominant in the Roman Catholic church and they're considered saints. And so James is no exception there. And it's believed that James, after his martyrdom, that his remains were taken to Spain and buried there. So he's very well beloved and renowned in the country of Spain. And there's a, 
a legend there that says that at one of the famous battles in Spain, um, that James came back from the dead and helped fight alongside uh, the Spanish people there in Spain. So that seems to be quite unbelievable, obviously, but it shows how revered James is as an apostle in Spain, which is just seems like such an unlikely connection, given the fact that he never journeyed there and doesn't really have a connection to to Spain. I'm not sure why his remains were moved in that way, but um, there you'll see a lot of you know information and legend about James in the country of Spain. It's also important to point out that there's even this even extends to modern day where there there is a what's called a plenary indulgence even today in the Roman Catholic Church involving James and a plenary indulgence is basically a fancy way of saying if you do what the church tells you to do God will take away all your sins complete uh, taking away of sins not just partial but complete and so there's a, a day of St. James, July 25th is, is his day in the church calendar. And there are certain things when that day falls on a Sunday, that if an individual does, the Roman Catholic Church will grant this plenary indulgence. So it's really fascinating for us, for us as a, from a Lutheran perspective to see this, because we think of indulgences as something that happened around the time of the Reformation and Martin Luther. But it's quite eye-opening to realize they're still going on today. In fact, the last time that this day fell on a Sunday was last year in 2021. So just last year, this indulgence was granted to people who would do these certain requirements, traveling the way of St. James there in Spain to receive this total forgiveness of sins through uh, the Roman Catholic Church. So you see how the dangerous and false doctrine that was uncovered, if you will, at the Reformation and exposed continues to this day and continues to trap many people in a shroud of lies and even uses somebody like the Apostle James to do so. When we're not talking about a small number of people that actually do this kind of thing, we were talking about hundreds of thousands of people that journey this way of St. James on a regular basis. So that, that's just incredible that there's that many people that uh, but it shows you the motivation also and, and the how ingrained that concept is within Roman Catholic theology as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, the several hundred thousand people do that every year. Well, any final thoughts on on James, Mark? I think it's a good reminder. Again, we saw this. It, it reminds me of Andrew, where we saw this with with his, when we, when we covered his life, that he was, he brought his brother, Simon Peter to Jesus. And yet Peter became the, the apostle that seemed to, to have more attention directed to him in the gospels. And Andrew kind of faded to the background. The same lesson is there with James as well. Somebody who was part of the three, somebody who was older than his brother, John, somebody who witnessed all these things about Jesus's ministry. And yet the first of the 12 that we are aware of that was taken home quite abruptly, quite quickly. And so I think with James, we realize again, with all of these apostles, no matter who, who the individual is in the church, uh, God has different plans for all of us. God has different callings for each of us. And God is all preparing each of us in different ways for what he would have us do with our lives. So I think that's a great reminder there, but ultimately over all of that, the umbrella over all of that is 
be ready to go home. Be ready for the, when the Lord takes you home to heaven. And James certainly was. And that was the most important part of the preparation that Jesus gave to him. So these 12 apostles were not just important because they were ministers and leaders and founders of the church, but because they were saved souls as well. And that, and that we, we need to remember the same distinction in our lives too. Yeah. One of the, one of the thoughts that comes to mind when I think about James is the, the passage where Paul talks about making the most of the opportunity and Boy, you see that with James, both in his life, and he was very zealous, like we've talked about with some of the other apostles, and sometimes maybe to a fault, at least to begin with, until the Lord had redirected that, that zeal. But you see James making the most of that opportunity in, in the work that the Lord had laid before him until finally the Lord called him home. And I, I appreciate your thoughts on the fact that we need to be ready for that every day because we just never know when that's going to take place, whether the Lord has a long time planned for us on this earth to serve in his kingdom or whether it be a short time. And we certainly don't want to miss those opportunities that the Lord sets before us. So I think a good lesson to learn from, from James, the son of Zebedee. Absolutely. Thanks again, Mark, for taking us through some of this background information on James and continuing our series on these apostles. Looking forward to getting into Bartholomew with you next time. Thank you for joining us also to our listeners. Hope that you have benefited from this review of the life of James, and we hope that you'll join us again next time. The Lord and his grace be with you. We hope that you will join us next week for another episode of Burden and Blessing Podcast. Our goal is always to bring you the whole counsel of God. Until next time, go in the strength of the Lord and preach the word.